What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. Coming to you from the Baseball America Podcast Nook. Controls your throwing strikes. Command is you're hitting the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is I mean, stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. If he was in the home run derby, I'd put him out of a decent chance of winning it against the big leaguers. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Welcome to another Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. We want you to remember that Baseball America's draft offer is available now. Subscribe now and receive one extra month of access with any premium, co- premium content subscription. Just go to BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe. And Aaron, we've all got draft fever, so our listeners and readers should too. we got the fever, and the only cure really is more podcasts. That's right. So let's, uh, we missed last week's podcast. I apologize to Aaron profusely already. It was a gem, though. You guys missed out, I'm telling you. I have four minutes and 50 seconds of it preserved, and it was uh, not worth posting four minutes and 50 seconds of it, but uh, we will do our best to get this one up and correct. And Aaron, uh, exciting weekend at college baseball. Not an exciting weekend in the rankings, not a lot of movement. Let's talk a little bit about the rankings and what happened and uh, why, and then we'll talk a little draft because that's always fun to do at this time of year. But Aaron, it feels like in every draft call I've made, especially when I'm talking to national guys for the – and for the purposes of the mock draft, um, agents and scouts agree Virginia and Oregon State are the two best teams. And that's not taking anything away from Louisiana Lafayette. But I think that the consensus really is pretty strong that Virginia and Oregon State are the top two teams. Right now, I understand why UVA is still number one in the rankings. Who do you feel is the better of those two teams? Is it Oregon State? Because I feel that they've been a little bit hotter. Well, on Sunday, they get back-to-back home runs from Conforto and Davis. Conforto... With two home runs on Sunday, it feels like Oregon State's offense is a little bit more vital than Virginia's. And while Virginia's pitching is outstanding, it's not like Oregon State's chopped liver either. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Oregon State has, uh, surprisingly here, I think you would not have guessed heading into the season that Oregon State down the stretch would be the more potent offensive team. And, you know, I liked Oregon State's offense. I thought on the West Coast, having Conforto and Davis in the middle would really be a separator for them, and it has been. Um, But... You know, I, I still I still think Virginia's offense is perfectly competent, and I'm telling you, I can't shake the feeling. I know I should I should give up the dream. They're not going to be an elite offense like I thought they would be, but I I just can't shake this feeling that they're going to get into the postseason and just the light's going to come on. They're going to get hot. They're going to start rolling over everybody. You can't fight that feeling anymore, can you? It's it's still you know what I, I still believe in Virginia's the, the the talent that they have offensively. I love their defense. To me, the reason I still lean toward Virginia over Oregon State is because I believe in their bullpen more, um, you know, and, and the Beavers have 
done, you know, Scott Schultz has, has done a good job back there, but they don't have the kind of depth in the bullpen, and they don't have Nick Howard. Um, Nick Howard is Nick Howard is, is such a difference maker, and so is Connor Jones. And Whit Mayberry has been fantastic for them as a veteran guy who's you know been able to be extended when they needed to, like they did this weekend. Um, the, the bullpen for Virginia, in addition to those those three starters, I mean, both these these teams have a really good left hander on Sundays. I mean, you know, you're talking about rotations uh, that that don't let up. I mean, Brandon Waddell was was the Friday guy last year for right. Virginia, and Jace Fry's had a fantastic year for the Beavers. Yep. Um, Love so, both those guys. I mean, that's one of the things that I think makes these teams. You know, and Miami is another team that I, I saw yesterday on a Sunday, and they throw Brian Rodzuski out there, and you know he wasn't at his best yesterday, but that's a tough freaking Sunday guy. I mean, he's just you know so much experience and poise and pitchability, and uh, holds the runners and fields his position and spins a breaking ball so well. You know, all three of those left-handers are like that. They, they're just they're polished, and, yep. and it, it makes it hard to win a series against those guys. I agree. I think I give a for me. I think I give a slight edge to Oregon State. It's by the slimmest of margins. I just the body of work for Virginia's offense is what it is. Yep. Brandon Downs is just not good this year. He's a two eighteen hitter. You are what your numbers say you are. You know, like a paraphrasing Bill Parcells there. What does he say? You're you are what your record says you are. Right. And Brandon Downs maybe he's not a two eighteen hitter, but you are what your numbers say you are. Um. So to me, just Virginia's not the offense we thought they'd be. Uh, incredible amount of credit to that coaching staff for having them be 41-9, and nine, despite all the draft scrutiny. And I think what you have to say is a little bit of a case of draftitis for that team. But what a team. Uh, they, those, to me, those two teams are the best two teams in college baseball. Much respect for Louisiana Lafayette. They have twice as many home runs as any team in the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is startling. Um, so, you know, ULL really is a potent offensive yeah. team. Aaron, to me, it's the top three, yep. and then there's a muddle. And I need to go back for a minute because go back. You know, I, I, you're absolutely right about Virginia's offense and what they have been to this point, which is a pretty middle of the pack offensive team. Um, and, and the thing that jumps out to me is when you look at the numbers. I thought these guys, even if they didn't hit a ton of home runs, and I thought they had real power. I agree. But and they do have real power. They do. But it's just not playing. It's just not playing. But but the thing that I thought. For sure, was they're going to hit a ton of doubles and triples. They always lead the league in triples anyway. They like triples. Uh, they like the triples, <laughs> and and you know the, the way their 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 park plays. They're all these guys who are suited to drive the gaps. And I'm looking right now, Virginia ranks. Uh, they they have not, uh, let's see, 77 doubles. So that's uh, how about 92nd in, league- in the nation, and it's toward the bottom. It's like the second half of the league. How about in league games here, and they've hit one triple. They've I mean, hit one triple. There you I'm just go. looking at. I'm just, I, I I had the league stats called up this weekend for the two. ACC games I did, and Virginia in league games, 240, 337, 319. 319. There's no ACC team slugging 400, which is insane, yeah. but Virginia is a singles-hitting team. They have five triples all year. That's, that's 248th in the country. I thought they have, they'd be a, a bet to lead the country in triples. Aaron, they have guys who shoot the gaps and who are athletic and run, and they don't do it. Don't get it. They don't do it. So, I mean... And they're number one in the nation, and they have incredible Absolutely. pitching and defense, and they, and they score enough runs to win. I mean, to me, they're like I still think they're like. A, well, they're, you know, if you compare them to UCLA last year, oh no doubt I they mean, are, they fit the bill of the Arizona UCLA template. They fit the template perfectly. They're athletic, line drives, great pitching, great coaching. Defense. Absolutely, a nine. And they, and they have more offensive upside than UCLA. Still, even though they haven't done it, no they still doubt. More upside, and, and they do the similar pit, to Arizona. They, and you're right, and they have they have, um, you know, 
they have everything else they usually did last year. They pitch and they defend. So I'm going to stick on the ACC tip here a little bit, Aaron, because we both, between us, saw three different series this weekend. I saw some NC State-Wake Forest. I saw some North Carolina-Florida State, as you did. You also saw some Miami and Duke. You've seen a lot of Miami this year. We've talked a lot about North Carolina and NC State. This is our my first look in person at Florida State. I believe yours as well in person. Yeah. Let's talk about the Seminoles a little bit. Um, you want to talk about a difference-making power bat in the middle of the lineup? Find me one like DJ Stewart. Who would you rather have, DJ Stewart or Michael Conforto? I think I'd rather have Conforto, but it's a discussion. It is a discussion. You're right. It absolutely is. Um, I love DJ Stewart. They both they both have that you know, and I think I talked about this. I don't know at some point just the, the presence in the box. Absolutely, that's the word. D- DJ Stewart sits in there and the he pitcher's quaking. <laughs> I mean, the pitcher's quaking because yeah. DJ Stewart is spread out. He's freaking huge. He's got like a thirty-year-old's face. Right. He's got that freaking Jeff Bagwell almost yep. uh, goatee exactly. hanging down. He's got grizzle. He's got like cheek pouches. Like a, I mean, he's just huge. <laughs> that guy is huge. And, and he's, he's all got over meat the plate. hooks. He's all over the plate. He's I, got meat hooks. I love watching that guy hit. I saw him this weekend um, get hit by a pitch that was called a strike. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, uh, he's, <laughs> he's in there. He's in there. He's totally in the strike zone with his right forearm. And, I mean, 360, 474, 598, you could just look at the numbers. That's one thing. But you hit, you said the word. His presence, he scares people. And then Casey Smith and Josh Delph were hitting in front of him. And those guys know, all I have to do is swing at strikes. If I swing at strikes and put the ball in play, they might screw up. I might get a single. I, I mean, like Casey Smith has three extra base hits all year. I still saw him, tur- saw him turn on a fat fastball or in the count, so he knows to go get his fastballs. Those guys have great Florida State approaches, yeah. and all they know is I got to get on base for DJ Stewart, and something good will happen. So Florida State, their approach is just so Florida State, and they have a guy who could actually drive yeah. the ball. And I, it, it's so I was intuitive. very impressed with their look. It's so intuitive. Why doesn't every college team, you know, it's so easy to say, swing at strikes, you know? I mean, like, what do they, yeah. they do it every single year. They walk more than they strike out. They lead the country in walks. It seems like, like six years in a row that they've been in the top ten in on-base percentage. It's crazy. crazy. And, and, you know, they just grind you down and grind you down like they did Saturday. I mean, there was a, an inning there. North Carolina didn't play well. No, they did not play Oof, well on Friday and Saturday. It was a bad look for but, North Carolina. But there was one inning where Florida State scored four runs without a hit. Yeah. Just grinding them down, taking advantage of the, of the mistakes the other team gives you. I mean, it's such an obvious formula, and, you know, not that many programs can do it year in and year out. And Florida State does it every single year. And even this year, you know, when um, some of the guys maybe that you thought would have – I thought Justin Gonzalez would be a big offensive piece for them, and he hasn't been really. Agreed. He had a good game Saturday and a couple of doubles, but, I mean – um, he's not had had a year, single, I thought. He had an RBI single on Friday, but he also like has 59 strikeouts. I mean, right. you know, he, he still is very Justin Gonzalez. So yep. the report I have on Florida State is, you know, good, very good infield defense. I know that Brizuela has some errors. He has 17 errors. My reports on him were good, and he looked good Friday. Yep. Gonzalez is a very steady college defender. Sansone is pretty solid at second. Nagowski's very good at first. He's outstanding. D- didn't have a great weekend offensively this week after he was dynamic against Minnesota. But he's very good at first base defensively, so it's a good infield defense. They don't they don't beat themselves. It's a nine seventy one fielding percentage. This is a this is a really good team. Is it a great team? I think it can be a great team, Aaron, if their pitching gets healthy. But Brandon Lee Brandt, as you talked to Coach Martin a couple weeks ago, 
has this basically blood in his bone in the leg and uh, still hasn't gotten well to not pitch this weekend. They think he could come back next week, but they're, they're not sure. So they have Weaver, Compton, and Liebrandt, as we thought. I do think that the national championship caliber team, especially the Luke Weaver that I saw Friday, he was 92-95, really more like 90-94, touch a couple fives early, ran out of gas in the sixth and seventh inning, but still competed. The changeup's dynamic. The breaking ball's playable. I would not call it a big league average breaking ball. The scouts I talked to would give it 40s and 45s, but it's a playable college breaking ball. He commanded it. I was impressed with Luke Weaver, but it sounds like that was one of his best starts of the year on Friday against North Carolina. Yeah, and, and I thought Mike Compton was solid on Saturday. I mean, it, you know, he was, he was Mike Compton. He looked, Paints. That's it. I mean, locate the fastball, 84-88 with some sink and, you know, big old sweepy breaking ball that, that it's it's good enough to win. And, uh, and then you put Strode and, to a lesser extent, Silva. Silva, so you have a couple left-handers out of the bullpen. Everyday Gage Smith. And then the X-Factor, Winston, Jameis right. Winston, who pitched Sunday. I don't. I, I wasn't there Sunday. Uh, this Florida State team, if Weaver pitches the way that he pitched Friday, looks more like the Florida State team that I picked to win the national championship than I had been told they were looking coming into the year. But they do have that look to me of a very of, a, of an Omaha team. I agree, definitely, definitely have the look of an Omaha team. And to me, uh, I will say this: I think you and I both thought heading into the season that this was a little bit different than a typical Florida State team, and it's not quite different. It, it still seems like a fairly typical Florida State team. I mean, yes. you, know, you you look at them physically, um, you know, and, and the. the they don't have the kind of gaudy numbers, but but those guys have the same kind of approaches. I mean, you know, Brizuela and Delph and Nagowski, you know, these guys are typical Florida State yep. guys. They're just, you know, they're great college players. Um, and I don't know if they have the difference makers on the mound that we thought they had. Without Lee Brandt, certainly that, that makes them a lot thinner. I mean, you yep. know, Weaver at the front and Winston at the back are those big difference makers. But the rest of the guys are, are more... Um, Those are the only two guys who pitch at 90 and above. Right. Those are the only two guys. Yep. Weaver and Winston. The rest of the staff is an old school Florida State staff. I which, thought it would be a little is, more of a power staff. It was a, which is fine. Right. I mean, and hey, you know, I, I, I still kind of feel like, um, I feel like the way Florida State is built actually would play well in Omaha. Yeah. I mean, you know, strike throwers. They're not gonna, you don't have to overpower with velocity in Omaha. Again, look at what UCLA did last year. They pitched a contact. Um, nobody pitched more to contact than Arizona the year before. Exactly. As much right. as UCLA did, nobody did. Right. Kurt Hyer just threw 90 miles an hour down the pipe and dared you to hit the ball out of the ballpark, and people couldn't do it. Right. So, I mean, that was, that was just stunning. I mean, to me, Arizona's pitching approach even more so than UCLA's. Because right. UCLA did what they always have done. Arizona, it feels like they changed a little bit. Because, yeah, they do play in a big, big league park, big league spring training park, but it feels like in Omaha it was almost like... 90% fastballs. Right. You know, exactly. it was unreal. Which, you know, I mean, that's remember what Hobbs Johnson did last year against was 100% NC State. Fastballs. It was 100% fastball. So, I mean, if you can just, you know, Mike, Mike Compton is just going to get out there in, in Omaha and throw fastball after fastball. And, you know, it, I think it'll work great. And, you know, that team is not geared to hit home runs. Um, they are a doubles team. Yep. They had a lot of doubles. Yep. Great fit for, for that ballpark. I think this this could be a team that could win it all in Omaha. I think D.J. Stewart can get it out of that park, too. Oh, yeah. Now, Aaron, Florida State is number four in our rankings, but only the number th- and number two in the RPI, correct? Yeah. But only the third best record in ACC play because of Miami. And huge sweep for the Hurricanes this weekend in Durham against Duke, which needed it. 
on the border, on the bubble, really for the regionals, and maybe bubble out now after losing yeah. this, after getting swept at home by the by the Hurricanes. Um, and, and Miami did it by beating Machuela, who was good on Sunday. We've talked about Mach- Mike, uh, is it, it's Mike Machuela. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I get his first name right. Who's going to be in the mix for the first 10 picks. I saw someone tweet over the weekend he'd be in the mix for that this year. He would not. Stuff, he has first 10 pick stuff. He has zero track record. And guys who don't have that track record usually don't go in the first 10 picks. Right, right. Stuff or not. He has, he's building that track record now to be considered top 10 overall next year. And we'll see what he does this summer in the Cape. Right. I think people can get a little overheated. I love Machuela. Heard nothing but good things about him. But he's still building that track record. But I think it's a great sign for Miami, Aaron, to go in there and win a tough series against a team that can really pitch on the road. And it feels like Miami, Florida State, and Virginia, Aaron, all have a shot at being top eight national seeds. Is that too much? I know that the ACC detractors, of which there are many, <laughs> and who have a strong detraction case, but that case nothing since 1955 has nothing to do with whether those three teams will get top eight national seeds and it has nothing to do with whether or not those teams are good this year right i mean right. you know they are all three of them are good um and you know miami is boy they're hot <laughs> i mean it's 25 out of 27 games they've won that's it's a, crazy it's a fourth straight road series in conference that they swept um you know nc state virginia tech and clemson the previous wow. three wow four straight conference road sweeps yeah Wow. So, you know, they've, they've taken care of business against the lesser teams, too, like Pittsburgh and Notre Dame. And they're um, doing this all, Aaron. They've, been, they've had some adversity. Thompson hasn't been healthy for, he, since he when? Was their, he was their leading hitter and, and RBI man, I think, when he got hurt. And you know what? He, and think, he was last year. And he, when he got hurt, was kind of right where they got hot. They, they actually came together. I mean, he's been out since, the, since mid-March. That is. That's their March. win streak, basically. Yeah. So, but you look at the top of their lineup, Aaron, it's actually legit. It is. Dale Carey guy who scouts could not wait to bag on last year. He's really made a step forward. That guy's going to be a good senior pick. He's going to go in the first 10 picks. He'll go the first 10 rounds. Yes, thank you. He'll go in the first 10 rounds as a money saver. But he's a college senior with tools who's finally putting it together and has scouts have seen for a long time and wanted to like. He was fun to watch yesterday. Um, He can defend. He can defend. You know, he can throw. He he does have pop. I mean, I've seen him crush balls... uh, Way back in week two against Florida, he, he, he crushed one pretty good. And, um, you know, he, he plays with some flair, too. Um, he, he likes to talk about his flair, I bet. He, he, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, they have, like, two losses in there to Alabama State and Notre Dame. I but, mean, come on. But Kerry and, and Palmer yesterday were, you know, so disruptive at the top of the lineup. And they were in the middle of, of seeming like everything that Miami did offensively. Um, both those guys can run. And they get on base ahead of, you know, the, the two freshmen in the middle, Collins and Abreu, who They're, have... Uh, you know, legit bats. Those guys were the two best hitters in South Florida on the high school side last year. Miami got them both to commit to the U, and they got them both to campus. And that, I'm oversimplifying, but that just seems like that has just changed this program here, yeah. and, and the trajectory and, is back up. And, it's, and it's, Collins is catching too now and doing a pretty good job back there. That's the other part that you know, I, I didn't know how far along that, that part of his game was going to be. Um, but the fact that he's catching allows them to get, you know, a little more versatility with their lineup because um, Garrett Kennedy was really struggling. Um, don't so. you don't you like their infield defense too? Yes. Like Lopez, Hernandez, Hernandez could play shortstop, but he's got really good hands over at second. Fieger is you know just a good solid college player, but and then uh, filling in at third base, I guess is Johnny, Johnny Ruiz, Ruiz who does a good job. So this is a feel like defensively feels like Miami's a, a deep run team as well. Definitely, and and I you know I just love the three lefties in the rotation. 
veteran guys. Any one of them could be a Friday starter for most programs, um, you know, with Radzewski, Suarez, and Diaz. Um, and then the bullpen, uh, you know, the freshman, Brian Garcia, um, has been outstanding this year. I mean, he's a freshman All-American. Um, you know, Woodry and, and Cooper Hammond, the other two guys, those three guys kind of give them three guys that they can really shorten games with, three guys that they trust. They bounce back pretty well. Um, you know, you got low slot guys. I mean, that, that helps, of course. You can they've, get a lot of They've had a lot of success with those guys yeah. over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Tesmer way back in the day. Um, Luke DeBold, the late Luke DeBold. Kyle Bellamy. That's another one, Kyle Bellamy. So they, the, the U has had as much success with the submarine jokers as anybody. But Aaron, the rest of the ACC feels like took a, other than NC State, the rest of the SEC, uh, ACC, I guess NC State and Maryland had the best weekends. Now Maryland has won eight in a row. Fizzle the Terps are back on the John Manuel Bucket going to going to regionals um, track as opposed to the Aired Fit. I don't believe it. Those guys not going to regionals, <laughs> but Clemson feels like it's in a little bit of trouble for regionals. Yeah, Duke's in trouble. Mm-hmm. North Carolina a desperation win Sunday against Florida State. I believe you wrote last week in Stock Report that if they can just win two of the six against Florida State and Miami and take care of business at midweek, they'll get a regional bid. So they did the bare minimum this week. Yeah. They feel like they're a bare minimum team. That's it. I mean, they're, you know, and hey, they're 14 and 13 in the league right now. If they can win one out of three at Miami, they'll be 15 and 15. How about Georgia Tech, Aaron? They get swept by Virginia. What is Georgia Tech's case to get in? Well, <laughs> they won the series at North Carolina. That's about it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're done with ACC play of 14 and 16. They could conceivably still miss the conference tournament here if things break a certain way, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. No, I think you're right because uh, NC State plays at uh, Virginia Tech next weekend. They still have one more game in this series against Wake Forest, right. which they've won the first two. And it just seems like it's a real struggle in the ACC to say, okay, I think Maryland belongs. There are, there are, I think that they're probably going to be an at-large three seed, but I think Maryland's going to be the number, the is the fourth, I would say, lock. They're in now. ACC team to be a regional team. They're done with ACC play at 15 and 14, and they're around 30 in the RPI. They're in. Who else is in? Which, in I, which I can't believe I'm saying three weeks after they got swept by Boston College. <laughs> I know. But, you know, they took care of business the next two weeks against Notre Dame and Pitt. I'll tell you, this league does offer opportunities to get well. This is not, you know, it's just not anything like the SEC. <laughs> it's just not. It's not close. It's not close. We actually have a question from uh, Ryan Sullivan, whose uh, Twitter handle is natsgm.com. Mm. Uh, can we talk some um Terps baseball? I love their uh, their Twitter's um Terps. Just like Jim Schoner wrote their Twitter handle. Nice. Um, and discuss the Nets draft status and others on the team. Jason Nets going to go good. I think he's going to be the first senior drafting. Uh, I forget who they're. Oh, John Provo. Uh, is it John or Josh? Josh. Josh Provo of Seton Hall might uh, challenge him. I believe that Stanett will go out first. Stanett has a pin in his elbow, hmm. which is from an earlier injury. I cannot find my notes. I know for sure he has a pin in his elbow, but um, it's been there a while. Some teams might get that medical and it might scare him off. But um, So we'll see. That, that could affect him. But this is a guy who's pitched like a first-rounder a lot this year, Aaron. And I guess the biggest question with him is how much is left in the tank. He's a converted infielder. So really only the last two years has he really pitched a lot. Um, he's got a pitcher's body. He's got a fastball up to 97. Uh, I was told this weekend that when you saw him against uh, either Wake Forest or against NC State, that those two starts, 
there were periods of that of those two games where he was as good as anybody's been in the ACC this year. 93 to 97 with life and command on the fastball. Yeah. That's pretty good. Downhill. Yeah, downhill, life down in the zone. Um, but he's got two years of track record. But he is a senior. You're going to get a discount. How much of a discount are you going to get? I think if you ask for too big of a discount, you may not sign right. this guy. Yep. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting on where he goes. I think he's going to go good, but how good? I have a hard time saying. I mean, even I feel last, like he goes to a team with extra picks. Even the last couple of years, seniors that go in the top three rounds or so tend to sign for pretty close to slot. Right. Right. And that's what I feel he'll get a little bit of a discount, but not much. Um, but he's a, I wouldn't want to see him as my three seed, and I'm a two in a regional. Whew, I would not want to see Jake Sinet in that first game here. No, I, I agree completely. But outside of him, do you feel like NC State, if they finish this sweep against Wake Forest, Aaron? Uh, they've got Virginia Tech on the road next weekend. Do you feel like NC State can get back into the regional yeah. thing? Again, we just talked about this is a team that lost a series at home against Boston College. Yeah, I mean, you know, right now, uh, Wake Forest is heading in the wrong direction. Imagine the Wolfpack take care of business tonight. And I think they're a lot better than Virginia Tech. And I think they're starting to get a little bit of confidence going here. Um, it's a pretty decent offensive team right now that NC State's running out there. And I'll tell you who impressed me this weekend was Brett Austin. Good approach. Was up there to put a big hit on, on a big swing on a baseball. I mean, I've seen NC State lately. I guess the other guy who kind of impresses me is Preston Palmero, Aaron. Mm. I mean, freshman, left-handed hitting, obviously famous name. Apparently ESPN was recording a 30 for 30 with Rafael Palmero Saturday morning. So they oh. were out there at 7 o'clock in the morning interviewing Rafael Palmero at the ballpark. So, you know, Rafael Palmero had a pretty nice swing and knew something about hitting. Uh, not a bad guy to have around your team in terms of hitting uh, and sw- hitting mechanics. And his son has a very easy, compact, line drive swing. Yeah, I like it too. That's a pretty good offensive ball club at NC State. It feels if like they, they can, can make it to regionals. I don't know if I think they deserve to be a regional team. If they can win out, our needs report says they can get into the top 45. So they have to win out. So that's Wake Forest at Radford and three at Virginia Tech. Do they have the? I don't know if they have the pitching tep, pitching depth to do that because that's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. That's good. So that is a point. That's a big you issue. You have to wonder what they're going to do with their rotation this weekend. I mean, do you? You know, coming off a, a, a Friday, Saturday, Monday, Monday series, um, do you? You know, you either have to bring Radon back on short rest on Thursday. I mean, you, you, you know, you don't have a lot of options here. They don't. They have. Um, have the Peterson twins? <laughs> Where would they be without the Peterson twins? I'm kidding. Um, but DJ Thomas out of their bullpen. Olzak. They have the freshman Ryan Williamson. They have Corey Wilder, who they gave a start to the other day. That did not go well. They lost that game to Richmond at midweek. That was a killer. Mm-hmm. Where are they in the RPI right now, NC State? 58. That is going to be the challenge for 60. NC State. Is They just gave themselves no room, Aaron. They gave themselves no margin for error. That's it. And I'm not making excuses for them, even though it will sound that way. I will say their schedule has not been helpful. They had, from the start, the UC Santa Barbara thing, uh, you know, was got up, jumped up and bit them. They started the league on the road, three out of four series, at Florida State, at Maryland. Four out of five. Florida State, Maryland, Clemson, Duke. Four out of their first five AC series on the road. Well, four to six, because it started with Notre Dame. Ah, I missed that. I didn't even remember that Notre Dame's a league series. So four out of six series on the road to start the year. 
That didn't help them either. That said, they've underachieved. We've talked about that a lot. They just have left themselves no margin for error. It feels like they've got to win those five games in, in six days. Um, and that's going to be a challenge. If they can do that, I feel like they've, they'll have earned themselves a, a, a spot in the NCAA tournament. What a scary three seed they would be in, in a regional. Yeah, forget, forget. I would not want to face them. No. Would not want to face them. Aaron, I feel like we've talked a lot about the Atlantic Coast Conference yeah, already, and, I, and I apologize for that. Um, that's on me. Let's talk about the SEC, which is this this league, Aaron, that just just when you think you're starting to figure things out, then Florida loses a series at home to Vanderbilt. Yeah. And they don't just lose it at home. They get housed in the third game. Yep. And the game they win, they win with like a one-run, one-nothing. Boy, Logan Shore sure was impressive on Thursday. Logan Shore is good. That might be your national freshman of the year right there. Whew, he was outstanding. That was how, hey, Tyler Beatty, take notes. Here's how you do it easy and repeat and throw strikes. He doesn't have Beatty stuff, no doubt. But but I'll tell you what. I mean, stuff's on, on, a t- on the good. TV gun, it was 93, up to, up to 93 to 4. Right, oh yeah. And, and I thought the changeup was very good the for The changeup was outstanding. Really good pitch. Uh, that guy was impressive. I, I, I'm, Hashtag impressive yeah. indeed. And we talked about that, I think, on the Hangout last week. But, you know... Other than that, I mean, Florida just was overmatched this weekend. I, That's and, it. And That's I thought, the word. They're yeah. the best team in the SEC, Aaron, in terms of RPI and league record, and they were overmatched at home. And I said to somebody on Twitter this weekend that while I think Florida's a very good team, and I do, I don't think they're the juggernaut that their their resume, their record, and their RPI leads you to believe. I, I just I don't buy it. I'm not buying that. I, I think that there's, um, you know, They've had a great year. I think they overachieved with the talent that they have. With you know, the ta- combination of talent and, and experience. experience. I agree Right, experience, uh, absolutely a key point because I love the freshman talent. I love the freshman talent. Talent-wise, they match up with yep. Vanderbilt, I but, think. But, but then you combine talent and, like, freshmen versus sophomores and juniors, it's a big difference. And the ju- sophomores and juniors for Florida are just not as good as the ones for Vanderbilt. For yeah. me. yeah. The, uh, the the key thing, the point that you made, you know, repeatedly in our in our top twenty five meeting today, when we <laughs> we debated trying to, we, we all wanted to move up Vanderbilt because um, we all believe in them and we all think they're they're getting hot at the right time and we all think it's impressive to go to Florida and win a series. That's just jumped out at me. And so we wound up having to leave them at eighteen because everybody in front of them won. Pole mechanics. It was pole mechanics. It would have, you know, we could have jumped them up, moved LSU down, but. That didn't feel right after right. LSU split their, their two not. games. I agree. And so we had to leave them. And, hey, they did lose a midweek game to Louisville. It was a two-and-two two week. But that said, I still believe in Vandy. I think, I think John, I, I think they might just be the best team in the SEC. And if you're the best team in the, the SEC, the you're a national championship contender, period. And they are. And, 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 they and are. the point that you kept making in our meeting today was Carson Fulmer as a starter is absolutely the difference maker. I mean, that just changes everything. Because their bullpen is fine without him in the bullpen. That's why I couldn't understand. All year long, I couldn't understand why they didn't start him. When you already have Brian Miller, who had, what, 19 saves last year. And Walker Bueller, if you want him. Walker Bueller, Hayden Bueller. Stone. I mean, And Hayden Stone. Kielachowski. they got a lot of guys back there. And, as we talked about on Hangout Friday, the, uh, what's the word? I was going to say salacious, but that's not the right seductive. word. Seductive. Seductive. The seductive Adam Ravenel. So... <laughs> I mean, this Carson Fulmer had me at log toss, but then he also had me with just shoving it. This yeah. guy just shoves it. His stuff is ridiculous. His stuff's ridiculous, and his swagger is ridiculous. And um, yeah, so 
to me, this team feels like Aaron's got four or five or maybe six national championship contenders. Serious. I, I consider. I think you have to say on on talent, coaching, and resume, Florida is a national championship contender. Yes. I think South Carolina is a national championship contender yes, for many of the same definitely. reasons. My big question with South Carolina is what they've done against other better teams in the SEC. They've just been okay. They've swept. They've taken care of business pretty much every other weekend that they've had to. They didn't at Georgia, obviously, but they did this weekend against Mizzou. We've got South Carolina Vanderbilt coming up this weekend. They did take a series against Alabama, which I, I still think Alabama's a good team. I think it's a quality right. series win. I agree for, for the Gamecocks, and, and you know, sweeping Tennessee is not a pushover. Certainly, no. There's no one in the SEC who's a pushover. Even Missouri, although Missouri right. kind of played like a pushover this weekend. And, and South Carolina also has a. a I think they opened conference play way back 100 years ago with, with a series <laughs> win against Ole Miss. So, I mean, you know, they, they they do have some, you know, obviously the Clemson series isn't what we thought it would be. I mean, that, on your resume, right. that doesn't look as good now because Clemson is a bubble team. But, um, but you know, I'm with you. I like South Carolina because of their, their experience, their pitching. Um, Cody Mincy and, and Joel Seddon in the back of the bullpen are just lights out every week. And I don't think we've talked about them enough, and that's on me. Seddon... What's this? I mean, where did he come from? This is this guy's just been. He's been in the program. Man. He's been kind of a you know middle piece. Who's you know he's he's had some innings the last couple of years, but the, he, he just you're right. He's been outstanding, and he's a three pitch guy, a closer. You know, he's not a big guy. He's six footish, right? Um, but it's you know solid velocity, eighty nine, ninety one, that kind of thing with a uh, a good changeup and breaking ball, and he commands everything, and he's fearless. He's fearless, Aaron. As you watch them on TV, and you watch them go out there, and just, it happens like this. Yeah. You know, it happens quick. He's given up one extra base hit all year. The ZRA is under one. I mean, they're just automatic in their bullpen. Yeah, it's almost it almost feels like a couple of years ago with Vanderbilt, where we kept saying, "Hey, Vanderbilt has the best bullpen." In the, or no, it was Florida. Florida got the best bullpen in the country. They got Paco. They got this guy. They got that guy. They got Maddox. And it's like, no, South Carolina has two guys, and that's the best bullpen in the country. That's it, you know? Taylor and Price. That's it. And this... La- Last year, who had the best bullpen in the country? I mean, was it UCLA with Berg and, is that it? Caprillion. <laughs> Caprillion, and, you know, I mean, they had other guys. And let's guys. face it, Caprillion's got a close. That's right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite quote of the college baseball season last year. But it feels like yeah, Mitzi and Seddon by themselves are as good as anybody. Yeah. You know, so. Um, it does feel like uh, the other piece there is that Grayson Griner had this really big year. Yep. Don't know that we've talked about Grayson Griner enough. Love Grayson Griner. He's got some draft helium. But this is a guy who I, I think, you know, last summer the scouts I talked to were like, you know, you can always put him on the mound. When you hear that, it just belies a lack of confidence in the bat. But, man, that guy's had a great year offensively. He's got eight home runs. He's slugging 545. There's not a lot of guys doing that, not to mention a lot of catchers. And so many big hits, too, when they need him. He's the heart and soul of that team. He's a leader. He's he's fantastic. He's really a great, great player. And, uh you know, you need guys like that to make deep postseason runs. If you want to win the national championship, you need guys like that. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I'll tell you what else. That team has gotten contributions from a lot of unlikely sources, like the Gene Cones of the world. Right. I mean, who the heck was Gene Cone for this year? And he's been a really good player for them. And they, they just find they find guys like that. They recruit so well. Um, you know, the depth of their class seems like every year is is. Is their class is always better than we first think because it has a lot of depth, and yeah. so and they're pretty good. I feel like at player development there. Yes, they are. Maybe not from the pro standpoint, but from getting guys who weren't highly recruited or who weren't contributors as freshmen to become contributors later in their careers. They're pretty good at that, and that's that's uh, that's what their job is to do, and that's what they, they're pretty good at doing that. 
Aaron, who else in the SEC is a national title contender? Do you feel like Ole Miss? Is anyone from the West a national championship contender? I feel like the three teams in the East yeah. have been higher in our rankings most of the year. Vanderbilt certainly and South Carolina are not now, but it feels like we're more enthusiastic about them. Yeah. Is LSU or Ole Miss or Mississippi State a national championship contender? It feels like, to me, Ole Miss has the highest ceiling of those teams, but that's... I agree. I, I like I like Ole Miss the best of the West, and and that's because uh, they're the most explosive offensive team, uh, because they they have the most consistent starting rotation. I guess I'm an old school guy, you know. Don't, don't give me two innings and then bullpen. I, you know, I like teams that can go deep into a game with your starter. Right. I mean, you know, maybe I'm just too conventional. I don't know, but Ole Miss does that with with, with Ellis and Trent and Sam Smith. Uh, you know, those three guys are. Ellis has been very Solid. consistent this yep. year. I mean, all I mean, three of those guys have been very good. I don't feel like he's dynamic, but he's been really consistent. Um, and then I guess the kind of surprising thing in here is that how much power they've hit for. We waited for Austin Bossfield all year. The coaching staff talked all year last year about yeah. how this guy was going to be the guy who popped. Yep, He's popped this year. Aaron. Just, and, a year just a year later. And this team struggled so much down the stretch last year. And they don't seem that they've sown any signs of backing up with, what were they, like 18 and 21 their last 39 games last year, something like that? Yeah. They don't feel like they have any signs of that going on this year. You've got to give some kudos to Mike Bianco, who's really done a nice job with a club that felt like it had more sure things last year. They had more questions this year coming into the season. They've really checked all the boxes of, are we going to hit? Who's going to be that weekend guy? Can Chris Ellis be that Friday guy? They've checked a lot of those boxes this year. You know, and the other guy that's been a key piece is Sykes Orvis kind of emerging as just this huge season. This great college bopper there. And, you know, so, I mean, you got some guys that, that have waited in the wings that almost has, has talked up every year and waited for Orvis and Bossfield. And they were right. You know, they were right in their evaluation of the talent. It just takes longer sometimes for these guys to figure it out. Um, so, I don't know. I like their team a lot. I, I think for me, if I'm looking at uh, teams that, that ultimately I believe in the most, I think it's, I think it's in, in the SEC. I think it's Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Um, you know, I know Florida's got to be in this discussion, but um, they're further down for you. It sounds they're like they're further down for me. And and you know, Alabama, I still can't shake either. I still kind of like them. Maybe, they might quit, be a year you away. You can't quit Alabama. They might be a year away. With Jack Twist on you again? Yeah, you love that. <laughs> I, I do apparently. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean. There, there, there are in LSU, and we have to talk about LSU because, uh, again, it's one of those teams that I don't trust the rotation, and so I feel like it colors my view of them. I don't trust their offense. Their offense. Yeah. I don't trust their offense at all. Great I mean, point. It, it's just not a. It's just not an. And just I, this is in my head. I'm, ta- you know, I'm Captain Tangent. Uh, thoughts go out to Sean Ochinko, the former LSU yeah. catcher, who's battling a brain injury in the Toronto Blue Jays farm system. I just saw him. Picture of him tweeted out this weekend and did, read up the story a little bit. I mean, uh, thoughts for certainly the. I'm sure a lot of people in the LSU baseball family are uh, thinking the same thing. And, and I think, um, but this uh, is this I think is, also that Alex Bregman had. A, I think his grandfather passed away this weekend, so it was a tough weekend for the LSU baseball family. Yeah, it's not a good weekend, Aaron. It's just they've just been so ordinary offensively. I can't shake that. And they've got Nolan Poche, and then after that, it's like, who's next? Yeah, big question. The bullpen's been pretty consistent, but I do like Joe Broussard a lot. Another one of those guys we haven't probably talked about enough. You yeah, know, like like. But like I still would rank their bullpen behind South Carolina's and Vanderbilt's and yeah, even Florida's, too. right? I would too. I mean, maybe even Ole Miss. 
With Lax from those guys? No, I have. I like the bullpen more than Ole Miss. Okay. And Greenwood, I guess, is the guy that you really like in, in Ole Miss's bullpen. Okay. The most consistent guy. But Joe Broussard, um, the guy throws hard. He's, you know, Duff's really taking a jump this year. Um, you know, I think he can run up there 94 or 5. And uh, he's had a great year. I mean, it's, you know, less than one ERA, 27 innings. Um, so, you know, between him and, you know, they use Kurt McCune a lot back there. He's kind of a setup guy. They have Nate Fury. They have, they have a few veteran pieces, but I just, um, you know, I, the, the fact they don't have a number three starter and they haven't had one all year. I mean, they just all year have been searching for answers there. Um, you you got to have more than two guys who can get you yeah. deep into a game, I think. Palmineri is not the most patient guy when it comes to that. You know, he's like most college baseball coaches, and he's not very patient when you mess up. Um, but he's, he can be. You know, there are times where he's stuck with guys that have struggled and have been rewarded for it. Um, you know, and other times, you know, where, it, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to make a move. And he's one of those guys that it feels like every year he, he, he finds a guy. Exactly. And, you know, sticks him in, and out of nowhere, and that guy may help, really provides them a spark. I don't know who that's going to be, but uh, it I hasn't happened yet. I think it's it, happened yet. It does feel like that is in Palmineri's bag of tricks, historically, no yeah. doubt. Um, Aaron, we have this question while we're talking SEC. Let's end the discussion with uh, Cape Cod League Insider asks, where do we project Austin Cousineau of Kentucky, Joy Pancake of South Carolina, and Tanner English of South Carolina to go in the draft? Rounds two to five reasonable. I think that's reasonable, but I don't necessarily expect that for all three of those guys, Aaron. Tanner English is still kind of, what is he? He's really never hit consistently or stolen bases consistently, despite top-shelf speed. Yeah. Joy Pancakes had a fairly underwhelming junior season. You know, four home runs. This is a power guy who's moved down the defensive spectrum from short to third with a little bit of outfield mixed in. And Austin Cousineau, I don't know what to make Austin Cousineau, Aaron, uh, draft-wise. I just don't know what Austin Cousineau is. Do I think he's a big league center fielder? I think he's more like, who's he more like to me? He's most like like, like a Shane Robinson kind of guy. Yeah. A fourth or fifth outfielder. Spark plug off the bench kind of guy. How high do you go take that guy? I feel like those guys are all more like fifth rounders with the best tool out of the whole group is English's speed, speed, but Pancake's probably the best prospect of the three. And Pancake's arm is another premium tool. Good point. For premium tools. Pan, I mean, English, you know, it's the same old, same old. I mean, the walks, the strikeouts, 14 walks, 41 strikeouts. Yeah. That's better than uh, it had been in previous years. I mean, it struck out 71 times as a freshman. Whew. 46 last year, um, he's going to pass that 46 number this year. But at least he's, he's walked twice as much as Cousineau. Cousineau yeah. has six walks. Yeah, there you I go. I mean, this is a leadoff profile guy with six walks. That's a great point. I mean, so I like those guys. I feel like Cousineau, to me, kind of tricked himself when he hit nine home runs as a freshman, and since then he's tried to be kind of a power guy when that really shouldn't be his game because he's, he's not built like that. He's not going to be that at the next level. Um Boy, he walked a lot more his first two years, though. I mean, that's uh, that's stunning, six walks. It is stunning. Aaron, uh, let's get off the Southeastern Conference and talk about the rest of our rankings. We had a real hard time at the bottom of our rankings, figuring out who was coming in. But we did have one easy team to bring in, and that's Kansas. Uh, I know you're going to talk about them in three strikes coming up tomorrow. But the Jayhawks have gone from a bubble team sort of in the discussion, not even really in the front of the consciousness of the discussion for the top 64-team field, to being on the bubble out, to on the bubble in, to now being securely in. Uh, is there a team, I guess they have the team that has the best, really have three red-hot teams in the Big 12 with them, TCU, and Oklahoma State at the top of the league. Yeah, red-hot, you're right. And 
this is, I think, the third straight series now that Kansas has swept. Uh, and, and these last two, Texas Tech and West Virginia, are, are good teams. And Baylor has been struggling, but you sweep Baylor on the road. It's a good weekend, too. So um, Kansas also won a series earlier this year against Texas on the road. Right. So, I mean, they, there's some meat to their resume. Um, they, they're really playing with a little bit of confidence right now. I like their pitching. I mean, that's to me, is, is the, the thing that stands out most about them, um, you know, is, is, is Wes Benjamin and Frank Duncan. Um, and, um, you know, Jordan Pichet has pitched very well down the stretch year, too, for them. So, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, I'm not sure if Benjamin's even healthy. I'm not sure what, uh, what his status is. But coming into the year, that was a guy that I really liked, um, you know, and, and was probably regarded as their best pro prospect. And, they, they've actually uh, they've done a really good job piecing it together there. and The, the bullpen has been solid, uh, and they've hit. I mean, they're just, they're just a pretty solid club. Yeah, I mean, Richie Price, uh, well, that's the son. Rich Price, the, the head coach. Um, I love the picture, like you were showing me earlier, of the other Hawaiian contingent. So, I mean, like, you probably can't just stick to Kansas and recruit enough players to be a Big 12 contending team. So they've certainly cast a wider net since he's been there. Obviously, he has California roots. They've had a pretty nice pipeline there. Um, it just feels like this is always a kind of a team that really grinds things out, Aaron, and plays the game. Uh, they skill it up when they have to. Um, but I, I just think I'm just surprised at the hot streak they've had. Uh, the, the last week, we talked about the Big 12 being really the picture being sh- pretty shaped up as mm-hmm. six teams. Did getting swept this weekend bounce West Virginia out of those six teams, or do you feel West Virginia is still in that? Uh, still in the, uh, on the bubble in. I know I'm getting you a little ahead of yourself with the stock report this weekend, so I, I apologize. But this is these are the questions yeah. we're, 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 that people want to know. And I need to correct myself because Wes Benjamin is out for the year. With, he had Tommy John surgery. Okay. I, thought, I thought I remember hearing something about that. But yep. He's done. Um, you know, West Virginia is uh, still, I think, probably in pretty decent shape. I mean, they're 27 in the RPI, thanks to all those road games early. Yeah, that's that's pretty um, good. They're only 9-11 in the league, so... You know, they, they I feel like they have one series left at Texas Tech. That's a big, big series. That's a huge series. Let's say they, they lose two out of three and they finish 10 and 13 in the league. I think that's that might still be good enough to get in because they have series wins against Texas. Right. Um, and I'm looking for other quality series wins here, actually. I mean, you know. It's, it's that's few really, and far between. That's really it because Kansas State, when they swept them, you know, we still kind of had a little bit of lingering feeling. Maybe Kansas State was the defending Big 12 champion, but Kansas State's terrible. Um, Oklahoma State, they won a series. Or I, mean, I mean, Oklahoma, they won a series against on the road. Oklahoma's gone in the tank. And the two games they won at Riverside and the series they won at Northridge. And Northridge has a bad record. Yeah. But the win at North Carolina. Some of those wins are what's really propping up that RPI. I feel like you've all the road games. And the fact they won some yeah. games against some pretty good road teams. But now they've been swept three times by the three top teams in the league. That hurts them. And that I think this is a pretty bubbly kind of resume. I think if they win the series at Texas Tech, they're in. If they can win at least one out of three, probably in. If they get swept, they're in trouble. That's a pretty good midweek game Wednesday. If you're in the D.C. area, West Virginia at Maryland. It's Maryland's last regular season game. So who knows what they're going to do in that game. But that's two bubble teams. I think we both think that Maryland's bubble in. Yeah, Maryland to me is now is now probably safe in. Okay, because that's, they're they're done at fifteen and fourteen in the league, and they're thirty in the RPI. But that's a game that bears watching. That'd be worth. That would be a game if we were in the DC area, we'd go to that game for sure. Sure. Um, Aaron, uh, we also brought in Pepperdine and left in UC Irvine. 
been watching some NBA stuff lately with some Julius Irving, so I had to go there. Um, let's talk first about that Big West. Uh, Polly really kind of got off the mat this weekend, Aaron, after back-to-back really no. weak, just just iffy weeks. Right, that's fair. I mean, they they were they were like thirty-nine and five or some point. Everyone's allowed to have a little cold stretch, and I just feel that like Polly had a little bit of a cold stretch. Um, but <laughs> I'd love to have a cold stretch and still be forty-one and ten. Yeah, you know, you they know, had the, it was a Long Beach series they lost, and then they lose in the Pepperdine and Riverside. They had that four-game losing streak. Right. Now they've bounced back, winning the rest of that Riverside series, winning the series against Irvine, handing the Anteaters their first series loss. I feel like Polly is back in this mix for hosting for sure and top eight national seed possibility. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like they, they shored up their hosting case this weekend. Um, even if they don't win the Big West, now they've, they've won the series against Irvine. Um, they've only had one bad weekend all year. And, and I know, you know people are going to look at the resume and scream about how they're only 3-2 and two against the top 50. And it's, you know, as we've talked about, I mean, it's not a matter of intended strength of schedule. I mean, they right. built a good schedule. Kansas State series, weekend series against Kansas State at UCLA, at USC, and versus Cal. Those are four name brand programs that have all had kind of poor years. And they and Wagner and Northern Illinois, that, those, those are, if they don't host, those are the ones that they're, they're going to come back to bite them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Northern Illinois and Wagner, both those teams uh, they outside the top wins. 200. They have 34 wins between them. And Seattle is, you know, despite the fact that they're 22 and 23, they're outside the top 200 in the RPI also. So those three weekends, cool. um, you know, that's why they're not higher. And that's one reason they're not higher in the RPI. The other reason is the teams that we just talked about aren't as good as they, they, we thought they'd be. But regardless, they're 41 and 10. They're, um, you know, they're good in their league. They're They're still... Inside the top twenty in the RPI, I think Cal Poly is sixteen right now. Um, so, uh, yep, sixteen. So, you know, they're they're uh, they're still, I feel like, in pretty good shape to host. Even if they're even if they finish around twenty, uh, I think they host. I don't know about the national seed part of it, just because those other metrics aren't really there. But uh, they don't that, that non conference resume is not a national seed no, resume. It's not just like South Carolina's non conference resume is not a national seed resume. They might get a national seed anyway, like especially if they win the Southeast. Say they win the SEC tournament, they're going to be a top eight national seed. They might be one or two if they do that. I mean, that seems South excessive. Carolina? That seems excessive. But if you if they win the series against Vanderbilt, and so they're second team in the SEC yeah. East, and then they win the SEC tournament, Aaron, they're going to be top eight national seed. They're going to be toward the top. You're right. You know, so, I mean, I'm not saying they deserve it or not. I'm not saying they don't deserve well, it. They get to, yeah, they'll be they toward the to, top. They get the to 18 SEC wins, which they, which they would if they win that Vanderbilt series. I think it's very possible that Florida, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, or South Carolina could be the number one national seed. Any of those four teams, because Florida and Ole Miss are leading those SEC divisions right now. If either of those teams wins a division in the SEC, then wins the conference tournament, that's going to be very easy for the committee to say that's the number one national yep. seed. That's a great you know? point. That's a great point. So, I think if and then the winner of that South Carolina Vanderbilt series, if that team wins that series, then wins the conference tournament, there's gonna be a lot of positive momentum for either of those teams. The one thing we've and, noticed is that the committee doesn't seem like they pay a whole lot of attention to the conference tournaments when it comes to this stuff. Uh, but, kinda, but if they win those first three or four games, their RPI will help. just go so no high. No that's all, that's what I mean. I don't mean winning the tournament. Ah. I mean winning those three games in a row that week. Right before the finish, what it does to your RPI and your perception in that room. Good point. That, that, that's really, I should clarify, I'm glad you did, um, that, that you made me clarify, because I think that's an important point. They don't see who wins the tournament, they just see, oh, this week they won these three games against top 20 RPI teams. 
Yeah, you know? which which should matter. I mean, you know, right. absolutely it should. I mean, the, you got other leagues. They're they're actually you know the back the Big West and the Pac-12 are playing full weekend series next. Um, you know, during during those conference tournament weeks, um, they get credit for those games. Right. I mean, teams that play conference tournaments should get credit for their games too. Aaron, boy, the SC, uh, the Pac-12. You mentioned it. Let's talk about the Pac-12. First of all, let's play taps for UCLA. We probably did it a long time ago, but the Bruins have lost six games in a row, nine out of ten, under five hundred. But Stanford, Aaron. Stanford Here is, comes the Cardinal. Yeah. It's like it's 1998 again. No, not quite. But Stanford has won 7 out of 10. They're over 500 now, the magical over 500. They win a road series back-to-back weeks at UCLA, at Arizona. Got Wazoo and Utah at Utah left on the schedule. If Stanford win, stays over 500 and they're three games over, say they go even just 4-2 and two in those games in the league. I feel like Stanford's going to going to regionals, don't you? I'd like to see them get to 30 wins, but they probably don't have to get there because, yes, their RPI is still good. Uh, that I would think, be six out of their last eight games. That, that's that's conceivable, but that is something that Stanford has not done a lot of this year, which is win six out of eight. And, and I will say that, you know, if you look at the RPI needs report, it looks like their RPI is, is projected to drop some. Unless, I mean, they need to, right now they're, they're 32. But yep. to stay in the top 32, they need to win out. Ooh. To, to stay in the top 45, they need to win five out of eight. So Six out of eight is sound like what they really need to do. 30 wins, win both league series, say they go six, four and two, that gets you to 500 in the league. Um, they got win big starts. Midweek games against right. San Jose State and Pacific. That get them to 30. I, I think they absolutely need to win those two midweek games. Yes. So you're looking at Stanford. They got a big start Sunday from Logan James, kind of out of nowhere. Mm. Major Hochstatter has become like a, a significant piece again for them. John Hochstatter is eight and one, one ninety six. But you follow their Twitter every weekend; it's pretty much yeah. Hochstatter pitched well again, and uh, you know this is not a typical Stanford ace. This is a guy with a twenty nine to twenty one strikeout to walk. And a couple of years ago, wow. when Stanford was going good, and Hochstatter was winning games with like five innings, three runs every Sunday, you were like, "Hey, look, everybody's telling me this guy ain't that good." So kudos to Major Hochstatter for, uh, A, giving us a great nickname for the last couple of years, thanks to my <laughs> Hogan's Heroes fandom, but B, for helping firm up that rotation behind Cal Quantrill, yeah. you know, uh, which everyone keeps saying, you know, I like Cal Quantrill, but he's not really a typical Friday guy. They've gotten a little bit of a hot streak from Wayne Taylor, and then Austin Slater's had a really nice year for them, Aaron. The great Blandino's got eight home runs. Do you feel like this is a tournament team? I mean, I know just in terms of, we talked about their resume and the strength of schedule, probably played the toughest schedule in the country, them and Cal. Is Stanford a tournament team in terms of just on paper? Yeah, if you were the emperor and you're going up thumb or down thumb, where, where would you say? Mm, boy, it's tough. I, I think it's, I think it's right on the on the fringe. I mean, I really do. I uh, I like some of their talent. I don't love it. I mean, I, you know, difference makers. I think Blandino is a difference maker. He's had a he's had a good year. That's it's not about been, it. It's not been a huge year, but that's about it. I mean, you know, Austin Slater's hit for him. I like that guy. He's a nice complimentary piece, but he's a leading hitter, three thirty seven. Yeah, he'll get drafted in the first six seven rounds just because he's a college hitter with some athleticism yeah. too. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think I think Austin Slater's going to go out pretty good. And you know, Venegas is a difference maker in the bullpen. He's got good a point. great arm too. But I mean, one inning at a time. Yeah. I just I don't know I don't know um, if I'm in love with the the talent the depth but you know there 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 are some I don't know there's some there's some questions <laughs> that sounds like a no I'm not convicted 
That has like a nerve. But but you know what? I mean, they're they're in the Pac-12. Um, they've held their own, I guess, against against <laughs> that tough no. schedule. That's a no. I don't know. <laughs> I'm putting you down as a no. On Corporal Captain, I'm putting you down as a no. Another MASH reference. Another dated reference from John Manuel. Aaron, Stanford feels like it's... Their trend line is so much better than Oregon's. Yeah. I, I hate the bag on Oregon every week. I mean, goodness knows, I love George Horton. He's one of my top five favorite people in baseball. I'm unabashedly biased for George Horton. And they've had tons of injuries. And they're going to get in regionals. But is Oregon scary at all? They, do you think they're t- I, I they, feel like Stanford wouldn't stun me if Stanford went there as a three-seed and won a regional. I don't think they can get to Omaha. Well, they, you know, they can't play in, in Oregon's regional, obviously. But, but right, right, theoretically, you're saying. But I'm saying they're trending up. They're playing better. They've got a little confidence. Yeah. I feel like Oregon is totally in just survival mode. I know they won. They swept the series against Arizona last weekend. You know, they haven't won a series against a regional team in either of the last two years. I mean, they they it's that's, the same thing. It. It's the same thing. They beat this the week, bad teams. They lose to the good teams. And, and you know, they tend to be competitive series that they lose to the good teams. And they did win the series at Stanford. They won two so, out of okay, three so there. That, that's the one team that if if Stanford can get into a regional, I had kind of had them as an out, outside the regional picture. But if they get in, then that there's one. Right. But I mean, Arizona State this weekend. You know, not a great Arizona State team. They're okay. They lost that series. Lost that series. They, they got swept by Fullerton. Fullerton's not a regional team, period. No, they're not. You know, Aaron, let's wrap up the Pac-12, then we'll finish up by talking hooky Big West again, Fullerton. But just want to make sure we don't miss out on that. But Oregon just feels like they're going to get into regionals, and they had a, you know all the injuries of their pitchers, Crook and Thorpe. Oh, no, Irvin, Irvin was hurt, right? Yeah. Forgive me. They've had so many injuries. Forgive me for, for mixing them up. They've had adversity, and I give the, the, the coaches and the players there kudos for grinding through that. But I don't fear Oregon if they're in my two-seat in my regional. No, I don't either. I mean, not with not without those two left-handers. And I, you know, Jeff Gold's had a great year for them. I, I like Jeff Gold. He really has. He, he's, uh, he's funky. He's competitive. Um, Past the old Gold. That's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little cool deal. That's 20 years old at least. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, certainly Thorpe and Gold are good. I mean, you know, Jake Reed at the Thanks bash is good, and Clevenger. I mean, they, they've got, they've still got nice pieces on the mound, and, and actually, I, you know, I like their athleticism and their defense. I don't know what's missing. I don't know why they can't get over the hump against good teams. I mean, they were in both those first two games at Oregon State, you know, when I was in town, and they just couldn't find ways to win. And you, you would expect them to be able to do that, considering the coaching staff, how how well coached they are. Um, they got, you know, they got a Three really good coaches. You know, it's not just George. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, no and doubt. Mark Wozikowski. I mean, those guys are great. Track record for all those guys. No doubt. And you know what? They just, for whatever reason, I mean, they just haven't been able to do it. So, And I'll tell you who I would not want to see in my regionals, a three seed, is the Sun Devils. Now, they are not an offensive team in any way, shape, or form. And I, it's kind of well documented that, I, you know, I feel like Tim Esme is a good coach, but that program has slipped in his charge. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think as highly of Coach Esme as I do of Coach Horton. Coach Horton has a national championship. There's a big reason for that difference. But I wouldn't want to see Arizona State in my regional, Aaron, especially if I were a team like North Carolina or some other team. I'm sure there are others who are really left-handed offensively. You're going to go in there against Lillick and Kellogg. Right. Your first two starters, Ryan Burr, come out of the bullpen with a flamethrower. This team can pitch. 
they feel like they skill it up fairly well. I don't think there's a lot of depth on the mound, though. That's the there's problem. There's not. But those, I would not want to see guys, them as my two or three. It's those two guys and and and, and Burr, and you know this team is a 388 staff ERA. Um, that's they, not they that's search, not special. They search for answers all year long after the first couple of guys on the mound. Um, you know, and even Kellogg hasn't been quite as as good this year as he was last year. He's been good, but right. Um, I don't know, and uh, you know, I'm not scared of Arizona State if they're in my region. All right. All right, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you on this one. All right, I just like I like their pitching. I like the top of their pitching. But, but you know what? They're I've the West Coast people. Arkansas is what they are. How I, I think are they Arkansas has a much better pitching than, than Arizona State has. Deeper, certainly deeper. But the top of the rotation, I feel. Well, we'll put let's put one thing. Arkansas has a better third. You know, they got you got Killian, Poche, yeah. and oh no, wait, is it Poche? It's it's Killian and Beeks and uh, Beeks and and Oliver. Those are the three uh, guys. Poche is the sophomore who's not in the rotation. Poche, the other Poche is in the rotation at and, LSU. And I like Arkansas's bullpen a lot better. Right. With Michael Gunn, especially back. There. Right. Well, I mean, I you know, you I like Burr, Burr but the depth Burr. for Arkansas is better. Right. So Arkansas has one is one louder on but, the weekend. But I do need to say that you know people I've talked to about Arizona State who see them out there, um, they actually kind of like their team, you know, and you know the, the lineup, some of those guys that uh, they're just kind of gritty and scrappy, and you know they don't they don't blow you away with talent, but they do have a little bit. I mean, some guys that, that are versatile, you know, that uh, can run a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at the numbers. And yeah, there's nothing, just, there's nothing there that shrug. tells me the offense is any good. No, there's just nothing there that tells me the offense is any good. Does seem like Drew Stankiewicz is a really nice player. And geez, they're fielding 962 as a team. That's not good either. I mean, I, I just I see a lot of holes here. Um, you know, I've talked to two people who, who say that they think they're okay. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd buy it. Yeah, the scouts I talked to. Okay. In no, they are. They're okay. They're just not great. Right. Not. I'm with you. Um, that's a useful perspective. Let's wrap up, Aaron, talking about Fullerton because we're going to have a. Well, we're at the hour mark, but we're going to have a postseason without the Titans. And the Fullerton people we know and follow on Twitter and talk to, and there's nobody happy with this team and with the situation. So they don't have Coach Vanderhoek coach this weekend, but they have reinstated him for next beginning now, basically, right? Yeah. Twenty-five and twenty-two for the Titans, eight and ten in the conference. We talked a lot about how NC State at number preaches number five is one of the most disappointing teams in the country. Kansas State. Preseason top 25, last place in the Big 12. But boy, Cal State Fullerton, how do you go be as good as they were last year? Add a t- the number 10 overall pick in the country, who pitches well, mind you. So even though you lose Garza, you plug in Bickford. And this team gets markedly worse. They've got at Irvine and Northridge left. They can't make a run here with Hookie back, can they? It's Get into regionals? Late. It's too late. I mean, they... They had to win this series against Riverside this weekend. And they kind of had to win the series against Long Beach last weekend, and they lost them both. They're done. I mean, it's over for Fullerton. They're not going to regional. Um, and it's just its really ugly. And, and I thought the point that has been made on the Internet um, you know, by Fullerton people is a very good one. How the hell does it take you four weeks to figure this out? That's what doesn't make any sense. I mean, either, either, you know, you, you just you just can't wait in limbo that long. It's absurd. There's, there's a recording out there, and the, you know, Adam Silver just showed us all what you do when there's a recording. You know, uh, this the the Vanderhoek recording is not out in the public domain. 
like the Donald Sterling recording is out in the public domain. I'm not likening the two in that case, but so there are significant differences. But there's this recording of Rick Vanderhoek, is the story everyone says in the in college baseball, in agent talk, in scouting talk. That's what we hear. And so if you have evidence like that, Aaron, it feels like you have, you, you can move quickly in an investigation of this type. And I'm not judging the situation because I don't know the uh, absolute facts. I don't know, like, like they know, but it just feels like there's one case where the investigation took a weekend and it was over and somebody made a decision. And that allowed an organization to move on. And it feels like at Cal State Fullerton, the opposite happened. What a disaster. I mean, what a disaster to handle it that way. It's, you know, it, it's, it's not fair to your players. It's not fair to your coach. It's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to your student-athletes, and it's not fair to your fans, and it's not fair to a program. It's not going to go to Omaha again. It have not been since 2009. The longest stretch, I think, since Fullerton's yeah. been a Division One program. That's correct. This program is too good and too proud and has too many people who give a damn to be treated like that. Yeah. And it's just depressing. It's embarrassing. Because it feels like you're in the gap between the football schools and the non-football schools is widening every year. And Fullerton has already had more obstacles, as they say in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Had more obstacles in their path than they had before anyway. And now their administration is throwing them a few more. And that's just disappointing. Now, going looking forward with this program... I still think they can, you know, I still think, and I'm not on the inside of the program, but I still think they can be, you know, an elite national program with Rick Vanderhoek as their coach. Um, I know there are people who don't think that. There were people who did not think that when they hired Dave Serrano. That's why they hired Dave Serrano when Coach Horton left for Oregon. Uh, They chose Coach Serrano over Coach Vanderhoek for that very reason. And, you know, Vanderhoek went to UCLA. And he wasn't there last year, obviously, but he helped change things at UCLA in a positive way to make that help make that team a national championship team. I think sometimes the Fullerton fans and the, some of the people give Hooky, I think, too much credit for last year's UCLA team. But he certainly deserves. He helped change the mentality there, no doubt. And, that was and, perceived as a softer team pre-Hooky than post-Hooky. Yeah, and, and you talk to Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer and those guys about it. Um, you know, they'll tell you about the difference because they were there. Um, Pre and post. Well, as, as freshman, I guess. Actually, I think that was Vanderhoek's first year. Okay, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but but he, you know, he got he got in their faces, and he changed. He did change the culture there, and made them a, a tougher program, more accountable, more accountable. Um, you know, so I I don't I'm not sitting here saying that. You know, I don't agree with people who think, well, he should have been fired. I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know anything about the situation. Right. We don't have those we facts. Know. We have I mean, rumors. We don't have facts. Yeah, I mean, you know, we—that's it exactly. And even even hearing things isn't the same as being correct. There. So, um, but I just think that the way they handled it was it was an abomination. <laughs> it's awful. Just from what we there's do no, know, wait, there's no reason to drag out for a month. It's crazy. That's the thing. From what we do know, this shouldn't have taken a month. No, it feels like they can be good again next year. And even though they're going to lose Matt Chapman, they're going to lose JD Davis, they're going to lose Keegan Dale, they're going to lose some key pieces, yeah. but. Unless they transfer, Eshelman, Bickford, Garza are all coming back. I mean, 
any program in the country would take those three guys back, wouldn't they? Yeah, and they, they just need to... I don't know where they're going to get offense from next year without without those guys you mentioned, without Davis and Chapman. I mean, they're lifeless offensively, and they're a bad defensive team. That's been the surprising part. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. They have a lot of work ahead of them, but with that pitching, they should certainly be competitive. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. We shall indeed, but it is just so crazy to see Cal State Fullerton at 85 in the RPI down there with Duke and William and & Mary and Seton Hall. Hey, a big East team in the top 100 in the RPI. All right. I got to tell you, I got a little soft spot for Seton Hall. This year's team, I got a little soft spot for Prevost and that, that team. They're 36-11. and 11. They've done a pretty nice job and job and job, and they're still third in the it's still in third place in the Big East, so I probably shouldn't have a soft spot for the third place team in the Big East, which only has four programs that are any good. But uh, great podcast, Fitzy. Boy, we went on a long time today. Making up for last week. Um, I'm sure we'll have plenty more draft and uh, college baseball coverage this week. Where are you headed this week, Garen? There's Thursday, Friday, Saturday series around here. Yeah. Now, next week, I know you're going to the SEC baseball tournament. Right. And I think Virginia's down in, in Wake Forest. Probably see some of those guys. Uh, Clint was talking about making a trip up to Virginia Tech to see Carlos Rodon's potential swan song. Uh, we'll see. I haven't figured out my schedule yet. That could be interesting. We don't know exactly know when Carlos is going to pitch. Uh, could be Thursday. Could be Friday. It's going to be a subject of some discussion, it sounds like, this week. And as we said, NC State with a five-game schedule this week. Uh, it's going to make things challenging. And the Wahoos are uh, at Wake Forest, as you said, so... Let's see if the chance to see if they really are the, the best team in the country or not. And we'll see them in the tournament, obviously, in Greensboro the next week. Aaron won't be there, but a lot of the rest of us here will be. Aaron will be down in Hoover uh, with a lot of the rest of the college baseball uh, eyes will be down there. So it's fun finish to the season. Uh, it's a fun time of year for us. Again, don't forget Baseball America's draft offer. Subscribe now and receive one extra month of access with any premium content subscription. Visit BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe. And this college podcast, like all the rest of them, is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther Louisville Slugger. Aaron, one day I will be stronger and lighter, maybe, when the boot's off. I don't about farther. <laughs> so for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America College Podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.